We don't talk about persecution a whole lot. We don't know a whole lot about it, honestly, as American Christians. We don't deal with this very much. It's hard to wrap your brain around the fact that there are people around the world, one in 12, the video said, who are facing some type of persecution for their faith. There are believers who are dying, being tortured, kidnapped, homes burned for their faith. And it's hard for us to wrap our brains around what that looks like, what that means. And, and honestly, our hearts probably don't even think about those people enough. We need to be praying more for them and concerned for their lives and for their witness for the gospel of Jesus. Just in the last three years, uh, statistics say that murder of Christians has doubled twice in the last three years. It just blows my mind. I can't, I can't wrap my brain around how messed up that is. We have to remember as a body of Christ here at South City Church, we have to remember even as Western Christians or believers at all, that God's mission will go forward. It's his mission. It's not ours. It's his story. It's not ours. And it will go forward. we got to know this in our hearts and our souls that listen. If God is for us, remember that scripture? If God is for us, what? Who can be against us? If God is for us, what? Who can be against us? God is for us in the mission of the world. He's not only for us, he's with us. He said, where I go, you follow me. He said, when you go, when you take my witness, I'll be with you. But yet people are facing difficult circumstances around the world. What can a little church in Little Rock, Arkansas do? (laughs) What can we do? Church, I want you to see in our story today that we can pray. We can pray, and there's power in our prayer. Listen, on the back of your card, I've got a few little points there that I'm going to make throughout the message. And if you want to take some notes on those, it would be very easy to do. You don't have to. But I want you to see the very first thing that God's church can do is we can be a praying people. In persecution or difficulty or victory and joy, whatever the circumstance or situation or emotion you're feeling today, we can be a praying people and God will use our prayers for his glory. Uh, The guy who uh, started uh, this organization, we just watched this, Open Doors, his name is Brother Andrew. He says, our prayers can go where we cannot. There are no borders. No prison walls, no doors that are closed to us when we pray. That's the power of our prayer. Listen, persecution is not something new to believers. It's it's something Jesus promised. Remember what he said in John 15? He said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. He promised it. It's something we can be sure of, we can be guaranteed of. Have you ever been made fun of? Have you ever lost friends? Have you ever lost uh, income? Have you ever lost community? Have you ever been persecuted in some way? We may, we may not understand kind of what these disciples face, but we can pray. We can pray. I'm sure these uh, words of Jesus that believers would be uh, persecuted was ringing in their ears as they scattered from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and all the parts of the world, scattered running for their lives literally because a person like Saul was seeking to kill them. Dragging men and women, Acts 8 says, out of their homes to be persecuted. And so we know what happened in Saul's life, right? Even Saul, as powerful as Saul was, couldn't stand against the mission of Jesus, could he? No, and he comes to know Christ. Jesus reveals himself 
to Saul. He comes to know Christ. He becomes a pastor. Last week we talked about the fact that he and Barnabas co-pastor and shared leadership, the beauty of this church in Antioch. So beautiful, even though there had been uh, racism and, and, and separate, uh, separation, putting people down. Jews would call Gentiles Gentile dogs, and yet here it's the Gentile church in Antioch that realizes the Jerusalem church is in need of funds, of, of food, and so they take an offering to be a blessing to the Jewish church. Isn't that beautiful? Just a wonderful example of how we're supposed to care for one another. Regardless of our skin color or background or, or different views, we need to care for one another if we're a part of the body of Christ. And so Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, begin to make their way to Jerusalem, and that's where we enter our story today in Acts 12. Would you look with me in our text? Acts 12, verse 1, it says, About that time, about the time Paul and, and Barnabas are making their way to Jerusalem, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. That was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending, after the Passover, to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The church can pray. You see, Saul had been the persecutor, right? Saul had sort of been the main uh, antagonist. He'd been the one that was after these believers in Jesus. But he'd come to know Christ. And now he's pastoring. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus. Well, <laughs> you can kill one snake, and I promise you where you kill one, three others show up, right? That's kind of what happens here in this story in, in Acts 12. Herod becomes the main persecutor of the church. And the first thing we see him do, his name is Herod Agrippa. He kills James, the brother of John. We'll get to that in a second, but I want you to know a little bit about Herod. Herod is the grandson of a guy by the name of Herod the Great. He wasn't so great. He was actually a madman. He was a murderer, and you might remember him from the story of Jesus' birth in Luke, uh, early in, in a couple of chapters of Luke. So Jesus had been born. You might remember the story. I love the story of the Magi or the wise men. They come to King Herod the Great. This is Herod Agrippa's father, or grandfather, I'm sorry. It's his grandfather. And so the, the wise men tell him, they say, hey, we hear that, uh, we see by the stars that the king of the Jews has been born. And, of course, Herod the Great goes, uh, what? I, I'm the king of the Jews. <laughs> so who is this you're speaking of, right? You, you can naturally imagine he's pretty interested in who this new king is, and he does what a killer does. He wants to kill him. And so he makes an order to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem. He finds out through his seers and different people that Bethlehem is the place where the king is to be born. So he goes to Bethlehem, sends his, his soldiers, and murders every infant boy two years and younger. Horrific. This is his grandfather. This is his heritage. This is his family. Well, you want to talk about his father. Well, Herod Agrippa I murdered his own father as well as his wife and many of his sons. And uh, one day, Paul ends up standing before Herod Agrippa I. He stands before one of his sons, the second in Rome. So Herod has killed James. James is one of the early disciples, one of the very first ones that Jesus calls to himself to follow him. He's also the brother of John. You remember the name they gave James and John? I, I think this is the coolest thing ever. They called them the sons of thunder. You remember that? 
Now, I don't know what it takes to get a title like the Sons of Thunder, but I want to hang out with those guys. You know what I mean? I want to go to, I want to just hang with those guys. They sound fun to me. But uh, anyway, so that's James and John. What's interesting is James is murdered first as one of the apostles. He's murdered first for his faith, and yet his brother, John, the, the tradition says that he died of old age. So the irony there that one gave his life first, and yet the other uh, dies last, if you will. The thing you can know about Agrippa, the first Herod, is he's a politician. I'm not a big fan of politicians. Uh, but we know about politicians. They, they like to grandstand, right? They like to make a noise when there's a lot of people. They like to let their voices be heard in, in front of as many people as possible so that they can have as much influence. And that's exactly what Herod has done. He has uh, murdered James, which he saw pleased the Jews. Oh, they like that. This is one of the guys in this church thing. I murdered him. It's no big deal for me to murder people. So I murdered him. And I tell you what, I know what this will make them crazy. I'll, I'll go find the leader of the church and I'll murder him. So he goes and he finds Peter and he plans to murder Peter. He throws Peter in prison, right? We, we know that he's planning to murder Peter and I'll tell you why in just a little bit, but I want you to notice that he treats Peter like a crazy, crazy criminal. He puts 16 guards on Peter. My wife and I went to see, you know, sometimes if you can't get date nights in very often, you get date days in. You know what I'm talking about? And the kids went to school this week, praise the Lord. And so, so we had a date day on Friday. We went to go see Mission Impossible, which... It's just a bunch of action and stuff. But in the movie, there's this guy who's a bad guy. And he's, he's chained up in his hands and by his feet. And he's got a, a straight jacket on. And he's guarded by all these trucks and cars and guns. He's a bad dude. That's exactly the way they're treating Peter. Even though Peter's just a simple fisherman. Now, you might remember Peter's the one that took out his sword and cut off the ear of one of the Roman soldiers. So maybe this guy's going, uh, let's put a few guys on that, that guy. Because we don't know what he's going to do. And the reality is... They didn't know the unknown power that Peter had. Peter had healed people. Peter had raised people from the dead. Peter had somehow escaped prison before. Remember when the Sanhedrin put him in prison? So there's an unknown power about Peter. They don't know what it is, but it's something significant. And so Herod says, tell you what, he's not going to get away from me. Sixteen people will be watching this guy. But don't you love it when God shows sort of a problem in Scripture and then he Shows a solution. <laughs> look, at this, look at this verse, will you, verse 5? I love it. It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but. I love when God has the, the but in there, right? It's like a teeter-totter. All of a sudden it changes. Remember teeter-totter in grade school, those things you used to play on? It just changes. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made to God for him by the church. Everything changed when the people began to pray. This is what our church does. This is what every church does in brokenness, in difficulty, in times of, of tribulation. When awful things are happening in our country, like a thousand children sexually abused by 300 priests, the church needs to pray. And God forbid that that be the witness or the testimony of the church that people think that this is the church. It's not the church. It's evil. It's evil. We need to pray. There's power when the church prays. It moves God's hand when the church prays. God, 
perks his ear up. He pays attention when the church prays. Remember what Jesus said about prayer? Through James, this is James 5.16. James says, uh, the prayer of a righteous person has great powers is working. Some of your translations say, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much or it's, or it's effective. So this is just one person. When one person who takes God seriously, who lives for the Lord, who loves God, is, is righteous, he's fervent, he's serious, he's intentional. When one person prayers, we have what? Power. We have power. What if we put a couple of people together? Uh-oh. What happens then? Well, let's see what Jesus said in Matthew 18. He said uh, in verse 19, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Verse 20, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So if one person prays with, with fervent, faithful life in Christ, there's power. But if two or three pray together, then the source of the power is with them. What do you do if you put a whole church together? Do you, do you see what I'm doing here? You see what God is showing us here? One person has power. Two or three people have Jesus. And a whole church can change the world. That's what happens when we pray together. That's what happens. Look what happens when they begin to pray in Acts 12, verse 6. We continue. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, in other words, the night before he dies, like the morning he's about to die, in the middle of the night, Herod's about to bring him out on that very night, and Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and then second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And then went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Well, this, is, this is a lot of people and a lot of measures to guard a fisherman, don't you think? It seems crazy, and yet they didn't know about this unknown power. What was this thing that allowed Peter to do these works? What was this unknown power that allowed Peter to disappear from a prison? I don't know, but 16 guards will, will take care of it. I love, I love the detail that, that Dr. Luke gives us in this story, and I want to I pick some of it apart just for a moment. The first thing I noticed here, in the middle of prison, Peter's chained between two soldiers with two separate chains. Now, I don't, I don't like to sleep with my kids when they occasionally come in to get in balance. I don't like because they're all kicking and moving and jumping around. People move, you know, when they're next to them. Can you imagine you're chained to somebody and you move every time they move? You couldn't sleep. You'd be uncomfortable. You'd be crowded. And yet Peter is chained between two of these soldiers. And there's two more at the door and there's 
shifts, rotations of soldiers to watch over Peter. I want you to think about this, how he's been treated. What has Peter dealt with? Listen, one of his best friends, James, has been murdered, probably beheaded. One one of his best friends has just been murdered. And guess who's next? Peter. Peter is next. Peter is hours away from execution. Peter's chained between two guards, and it's uncomfortable. As they move, you move. And there's a couple of guys by gates. How in the world does Peter sleep? We got a pretty nice bed, and, you know, they even make stuff to help you sleep. And if you're like me, some of us have struggled. We struggle sleeping. Not Peter. Peter is sound asleep. Do you see this? He's sound asleep. Listen, he doesn't even wake up when the angel shows up. The angel shows up, and I just, in my my little mind, I I picture, you know, the little voice, the little THX thing. You know that happens? The light shows in in the cell, you know what I mean? Peter doesn't wake up. Peter is out. The light shines in this whole cell, and, and the text says that the angel has to slap him on the side. Just kind of imagine the angel going, and going, really? Really? Boom, you know? Wake up! He has to wake, and Peter is sleeping. Listen, Peter is sleeping so soundly. Do you know why? Because he has perfect peace. Peter has perfect peace in his heart. Why? Well, Jesus had promised him. You might remember Jesus had promised him that he wasn't going to die a young man. He said, one day people will have to lead you away and clothe you and walk by you and you as an older man. Remember when Jesus said that? So Peter's going, not today. Not today, Herod. I mean, sound asleep. He's got perfect peace. I think about when I thought about this story, I couldn't help but think about Jesus. Do you remember the story of Jesus? Matthew 8. He's on a boat, and he's in this lake. We call it the Sea of Galilee. And I've been there. It's absolutely stunning. It's beautiful with mountain scape all around you. But in that part of, of the world, that body of water can have 12 to 14-foot swells. And you can imagine this tiny little boat, no much longer than one of your rows of pews, with 12 guys in it. And a, a great storm comes up on Jesus and those disciples and they're freaking out. They know that they're about to die. But, and listen, these are not people that are unfamiliar with a boat. You know what I mean? These are fishermen. They know how to handle a boat. They know what to do in a storm. And they think they're going to die. So it just gives us a sense of how great the storm was. And they come to Jesus. And Jesus is what? He's asleep. I love it. Jesus is asleep. And they say, Jesus, how can you sleep in this storm? We're, we're going to die. How, what are you doing? And Jesus, do you remember what he says? The very first thing he says is, where's your faith? In other words, if you have faith, you'll have peace. Where's your faith? You're worried about a storm. You're worried about some wind and some waves. And in the boat, you've got the creator of the wind and the waves. What are you afraid of? Where is your faith? I'm I'm, I'm right here. 
Where's your faith? You know, I just believe with all my heart that Peter sound asleep. He doesn't wake when the guys move next to him and the chains rattle. He's not waking when the angel shows up and the light goes off. He's sound asleep because he remembers. Jesus said, you're going to die an old man. And even in the storm of your life, you can have peace. Here's the second thing for your card. Even in prison, there can be perfect peace. Even in prison, you can have peace. So let me ask you this. What is your prison? Are you having trouble sleeping? Is there something going on in your heart, in your soul that you can't wrestle away, that you're you're struggling with? You can't sleep at night. Do you have confidence that God has got you? Are you fearful of your finances or your health or your relationship or your job or whatever's going on in the world that causes you not to be able to sleep? Let me ask you, church, where is your faith? And we all deal with it. I'm the worst. I'll wake up and I'll have to start writing or, or thinking or I don't know what, praying. But it could be a lack of faith. Is Jesus taking care of your every need? Is he meeting you at your greatest point of need? That's his job. It's who he is. Where's our faith? Let me tell you what Peter did that we need to learn how to do. Peter had learned to have a trust so deep, so real in Christ that he could rest even when he was bound with chains. even when he was crowded, even when people didn't trust him, even when he was in the middle of walls of a prison and he saw no way out, he was able to sleep with perfect peace. So what has you bound this morning? What has you tied up? Are there people that don't trust you? Is there a situation in your life that you don't see a way out? And yet God says, I'll give you all that you need. Rest. Have faith. In me, place your faith before your fear. Remember what Jesus said in the boat? After he said, where is your faith? You remember what he said to the waves? Peace be still. I love that. Can we say that? Peace be still. Let's say it one more time. Peace be still. Jesus spoke that to the waves, and in my mind I have this picture of the waves splashing high and then just dropping to the most calm body of water. And the disciples' eyes just get bigger than their heads. And they look around and they say, who is this man? Who is this man that can speak peace to the wind and the waves and they obey? Who is this? And Jesus says, where is your faith? Just believe Peter was sound asleep. Because he knows when Jesus speaks peace, you can have it. Church, when you're facing something tonight in the middle of the night that you can't sleep, something's going on that has your heart bound and you're wrestling, give it to God. Peter says, cast your cares upon me for I care for you. Have peace, not in what you've done or what you can do or what you know or what you understand. That's the very nature of faith. God, I don't know. I don't understand. I can't do. So I put before me my faith and believe that in my faith you bring peace. I let it go. I don't know what tomorrow may hold, but you're good. 
and I have faith, and you give peace. Peter was dazed. The angels walking him around. Peter's, you ever had trouble before coffee, you know what I'm saying? Just me. You got to have coffee before you can even, you know, think twice. I love those coffee mugs that say, shh. Just the very first line is, shh, the coffee mug's still full. Next line is like, not yet. Next line is, you're getting closer or whatever. Okay, now you may speak. You know, you've got to have my coffee before you can address me kind of thing. That's, I'm not that bad. But Peter was struggling. Peter was in a daze with this angel walking him around. And what I love about this is the angel walks him step by step through what Peter needs to do. Do you see this? Look at the text. The angel says, after he slaps him on the side, look what he says. Hey, get up quickly. Step one, Peter, get up. Step one. What's the next best thing right now, Peter? Step one, get up. Peter gets up. Peter obeys what the direction is. Step two, hey, just dress yourself, put on your sandals. What's the next best thing, Peter? <laughs> After you get up, get dressed, put on your sandals. Peter obeys. The angel says, okay, now wrap your cloak around you and follow me. What's the next best thing? Some of you are facing something that's got your heart so bound. I just want to tell you, listen, say, peace be still in my life. And then you just need to do the next best thing. That may need to be get up out of the bed. That may need to be turn off the computer. That may need to be stop crying and wash your face. That may need to be just put on your shoes and go visit somebody. Go care for somebody else. Do the next best thing. And God in his goodness and his grace will lead you step by step by step. Because that's how good he is. That's what he does. I love this. So he's walking Peter out of the prison. And I just got to add this. So he walks through these two guys. The chains fall off. He gets him dressed. And he's following the angel, still dazed. And he goes past two gates. Now, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if the guards are asleep. It doesn't tell us. Or if there's some sort of cloak of invisibility. For all you Harry Potter fans out there, I don't know. But something's going on where the guards can't see or don't see him move past them. And they slip out. Now, I want you to see something. The angel is still leading Peter. I love this in the text. It says it takes him down one street and disappears. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be like, hey, stay with me. Stay right here, right? God, I want you to show me what the next decision is to make. God, I want you to show me where I need to go tomorrow. Lord, I need you to speak to me about what the next step is because I'm not sure. You've been leading me. You've been leading me, and I struggled with this this week. I looked at this, and I'm like, Lord, why would the angel just take him one block and leave? I don't understand. God, we want you to stay with us and be with us, and I finally realized Listen, God's going to bring you as far as he needs to bring you to give you freedom. He's going to help you step by step. Put on your sandals. Get up, put on your cloak. Follow him. He's going to take you to the place where you're free. And then he's going to let you make a choice. You know why? This is the thing the Lord showed me this week. Because it's not freedom if you don't make the choice. You don't have freedom unless you make a choice. If somebody's making a choice for you, that is not freedom. Here's the next phrase for your card. God clearly has a plan for Peter. He spared his life, but God doesn't want Peter to be his puppet. He doesn't want you to be his puppet. He's not going to tell you everything you need to know. He's going to bring you through to where you have freedom, complete freedom in Jesus, to be about the mission of Jesus. 
And then he's going to step away and say, now it's your choice. You know what? Peter was standing in the cold night of an empty street. The wind hits his face and he comes to and he realizes the angel's gone and I'm, I'm out of prison. Oh my gosh, Peter had a choice. Peter could have said, I got to run for my life. They were going to kill me. No, for real this time. I watched them kill my best friend. I got to go. But that's not what Peter does. Peter makes a choice out of the freedom he's been given to follow Christ, which, by the way, is freedom. God's given freedom to Peter. He's given freedom to you. What has he done in your life? What has he brought you out of? What has he done in such a way that he's brought you to a point for a second chance and you're standing in the middle of a two-way street? Am I going to go back the way I came? Am I going to kind of just sidetrack God's plan for my life because I really want this? Or are you going to say, no, Lord. You just rescued my life. You just saved me. You gave me life, and now I can follow. Now you can Use me for your glory. Because he won't make that choice for you. You've got to make it for yourself. He doesn't want you to be a puppet. What did Peter do? Let's see. Acts 12, verse 12. It says, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and, and they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said to them, tell these things to James and the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. What was the choice Peter made. Did he run for his life? Where did he go? <laughs> he went to the church. He didn't go to a building. He went to a people. He went to his people, his truest friends. He knew he had friends that supported him and loved him. And by the way, when it says up there in verse 5 that they were earnestly praying, the Greek word for earnest is like stretching of a muscle. You know, I told you a few weeks ago, or a couple of weeks ago, I threw my back out. But I've been doing a lot of earnest stretching. I've been trying to stretch my back to get some pain taken away. It's not fun. I have to be intentional several times a day to stretch my back so it gets better. This church was earnest. They, they were stretching their muscle of faith. And here Peter has now shown up on their doorstep. I love it. He's shown up. I want to tell you a little bit about Mary. So Mary is uh, John Mark's mother. We know that she's wealthy. She has a large home. She has servants. She has a courtyard. So we know that she's wealthy, okay? We know that she values the church. She's holding a small group right there in her own home. Um, it's, it's the people that are praying. We know that there are no leaders in the group, right? Because he says in a little bit, make sure you tell James, who was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, Jesus' brother. Make sure you tell James and the other brothers the story. So we know that there are no leaders there. It's just church people. This is a small group of people encouraging one another, and this is the night before his death, and they're praying into the night. Let me ask you this question. Who do you have in your life? Who's the group of people that are your truest friends that support you in the middle of the night? 
We see Rhoda. This is a servant girl. She answers the door. Peter's knocking at the door. And I, I, I love this scene. Again, I don't know why all these things kind of show up in my mind as a movie. And they're pretty funny, honestly. This is a pretty funny scene if you play it out in your mind. Peter is escaping his life. He shows up at his friend's house, knocks at the door, and Rhoda goes, oh, yeah, and leaves him. And Peter's like, really? Right? He goes, she goes to the people, and they say, you're crazy. The Greek word is, you're a maniac. That's what they say to her. You're a maniac. You're so out of your mind that you think Peter's standing at the gate. Rhoda keeps hearing him knock. Peter's out there knocking. Come on, come on. She goes back. <laughs> it's still Peter. She goes back. Just open the door. Isn't that funny? So then she goes back to the people and they go, listen, no, it's not Peter. It's, it's an angel. And the thing I learned is that in, in this uh, ancient world, people believed that every person had an angel. And that that angel looked like you. So every person has an angel that looks like you. Of course, it's not biblical teaching about angels. It's just something they believed in the ancient world. Or they believe that if you, your angel, if you died, your angel might show up in the place that you might show up. And so they say, don't worry about him. It's just your angel or it's just his ghost. Oh, wait a minute. If it's his ghost, he's died. And they continue to pray. So either way, either way they tell him, tell her she's crazy. It's not Peter. Well, he keeps knocking and finally the whole group comes to the door. They realize it's Peter. And you, can you imagine the commotion? They knew how he was chained up. They knew how impossible it was to get away. And the crowd goes crazy. The commotion flares up. Oh, my God. He's just going, shh, 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 shh. Right? He knows where he's been. He knows what those ugly 16 soldiers look like. He's like, shh, 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 shh. And he quiets them down. And then he tells the story. I can't, I can't wait to tell you what God did. An angel showed up. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just dazed, and he told me everything I needed to do. He goes through the whole story. By the way, listen, when you get involved in a small group, what we call them city groups here, part of what we do is we share our stories. Did Peter need to share the story for himself? No, he just lived it. There's no purpose for Peter to give the story. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Except for the fact that Peter is sharing this story so that it can encourage and build the faith of those believers. And when you share your story in small group, you share what God has done, you share the brokenness of your life and the faithfulness of your God, it encourages the faithfulness of your friends. That's what it does. In fact, at the end when he says, hey, make sure you tell James and the other brothers what's happened, what he's saying is, please encourage James and the other brothers. Let them know that this mission we're on, this mission we're willing to die for is still going forward. That God is still in control. That nothing can stand against the mission of Jesus. Please tell the leaders. Tell everybody what's going on. Here's the next phrase on your card. Where do you run in the middle of a crisis? Do you have a community of believers to support you? Seriously, when you, when you lose that job... You can just barely drag yourself to that group of people because you just don't want to see anybody. Do you go? Do they stop for you? I remember I've told this story many times. Maybe you've heard it, but one of the places that God really changed mine and my wife's heart for small group ministry is she had had a really rough night at work. She used to work in the evenings at a radio station. And she had a really, really rough night, and her boss had said something that had kind of discouraged her. And 
she was just really hurt, I guess, during the day. And we, we went to small group that night. And um, our small group leader said, hey, you know what? We had plans to do a Bible study night, but tonight I think we just need to focus on praying for Lori. Her heart is just kind of hurting. We're just, so we just prayed for Lori. It changed her heart. It changed her circumstance. It changed her perspective on what was going on. And it changed our understanding of the need for a group of people. Who is your family? He says on our, on our card, have you found your place in the family yet? This is what I'm talking about. Have you found a group of believers that will support you even in the middle of the night? So you'll, you'll weep with somebody if they're weeping. You'll celebrate with them if they've been delivered. If something's going on, you're close enough to them that you know you can share life with them. This week, one of my dearest friends, his father went to be with the Lord. And his funeral was this week. Look, this issue in my back kept me from going to the funeral. And I wasn't expecting it, but on Friday I was kind of watching on social media and seeing some posts about the funeral, and I just lost it. And I literally just, I just sat there and wept for about 30 minutes. Just, I'm talking heavy weeping. It wasn't for me. It was for my friend. It's for their family. I'm connected to him. I'm connected to him in a soul environment kind of way. I love him. I love his family. I love the things that are going on in their family. And I've, we've known them for years and years. And I knew they were broken. And because they were broken, I was broken. This morning I had the privilege, and can I tell you it's a privilege, to stand and watch many of you come and take communion and me say, this is Christ's body broken for you and his blood shed for you. And I begin to weep because I love you. And I rejoice that Jesus is your Lord. And we have hope in him together. Listen, when you're in a community of believers that support you, it'll change your life. I'm not talking about Sunday school where you learn a few things and you might do a, a monthly thing. I'm not trying to bash Sunday school. I'm talking about living with people day after day, caring for them, calling them, connecting with them. I'm talking about life on life, life on mission together. That's the reason we do small groups called city groups here at South City. By the way, next Sunday is going to be a celebration of those small groups. We're going to have lunch after church. We're going to have a um, conversation in those small groups. And then a whole message is going to be kind of based around why are those small groups needed? And why are they truly, honestly, the truest form of the church? This is a, a wonderful time together. But the truest form of the church is what we see in this text. The truest form of the church is what we see in Acts 2. And that's what our city groups are. Okay, end of plug for next weekend. Let's continue our story in verse 18. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. Can you imagine? He's gone. We thought 16 guys was enough, and it wasn't, right? Because nothing will stand against the mission of Jesus. Verse 19, and after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the centuries and ordered that they should be put to death. Let me just tell you this. In the Roman world, if a, if a prisoner escapes, then the soldier guarding the prisoner gets whatever punishment was coming to that prisoner. So those 16 soldiers, they get death because that was what was on uh, the plan for Peter. They're murdered. They ordered him to be put to death. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Verse 20. 
Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, he took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Don't miss this last verse, verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. All right, this is a strange little addition to our story. And we're going to get to what, what's, what it's about. But let me just kind of break this down quickly. Herod is furious that Peter is missing. He has escaped. He's been delivered, really. He's, he's furious, and he does what killers do. He kills 16 soldiers because of it. A few months later, uh, Herod does what politicians do as well. He wants to grandstand. And at Caesarea, there's all these athletic games with a whole bunch of people. And a lot of people from this town, uh, Tyre and Sidon, they come to this thing. Well, you know that there's been a great famine in this area of Judea. It's the reason the Antioch church sent offerings to Judea. Well, the people who had it worse than Judea, Tyre and Sidon. And so they, they need help. And so they bribe the chamberlain to have an audience with the king. We need your help. We need your help. And we don't know what he said, but I'm assuming he gave them help because they say this. This is the voice of a God and not of a man. Herod makes the mistake of taking that compliment. Herod makes the mistake of putting himself in the position of a God and not of a man. And it says, on an appointed day. You see that? That's the same phrase as, and God had already made plans for this. God, he was planning this was happening. On an appointed day, it says that he took this compliment and an angel of the Lord shows up. Now I want you to see this too. An angel of the Lord is the same title as the angel who delivered Peter, okay? So you got an angel of the Lord delivering Peter and an angel of the Lord bringing judgment on Herod. Remember I said this a few weeks ago? You want to be on the side of deliverance, not on the side of judgment, right? <laughs> you want to always find yourself on the side of deliverance, not on judgment, and yet Herod has found himself exactly here. So the Bible says that he struck down not sure what that means. He's struck down and he ends up dying and breathing his last. And it has this weird addition that he's been eaten by worms. Well, there's a Jewish historian. His name is Josephus. And he kept account of all the things that kind of happened in the area. He says that uh, Herod, makes, Herod Agrippa makes this announcement uh, for, you know, for the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they, they say their thing. And he says that it's five days later that, that Herod dies. Five days, a very painful five days, Josephus says. He was 54 years old, and most theologians believe he died of a sudden bout of round worms. Either way, it's not a good way to go. You know what I'm saying? This is not a pretty sight. So I would suggest to you not to stand in the place of God. A good friend of mine that I, I met with some, his name is Al Andrews in Nashville. He's a counselor, and he told me one time, he said, Drew, he said, the human soul is not designed for applause. The human soul is not designed for applause. He said, so when people give another human applause, it does something. It corrupts us inside. And, and he had been corrupted. Herod had been so corrupted that he took this compliment as truth. And we see that God 
judges him with an angel of the Lord. Let me bring your attention as we close this morning to the very last verse and the reason for this crazy story, okay? What does the last verse say? But the word of God increased and multiplied. But the word of God increased and multiplied. The, the title of the message this morning is Persecution versus Providence. Persecution versus Providence. See, the enemy will always come against us. He will always come against the mission of Jesus. Can I just tell you, he has no chance. He stands no chance. None whatsoever. When Saul came up against the mission of Jesus, God revealed himself to him and changed his heart, right? When uh, Herod comes against the mission of Jesus, we see what happens. And that's exactly the point of Dr. Luke as he says, this is God's mission. The word is going to increase and multiply. This is God's mission. And there's nothing and no one that can stand in the way of what God is doing in his mission to save people. God forbid, but if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, guess what? Somebody else will be here that next Sunday. You know what they'll be doing? Preaching the word of God to you. It's not about me. It's not my story. The mission of Jesus will go on without any of us. He will go. So I choose to serve. I choose to follow. I choose to be used of God for his mission. I told you a few, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago as we got into this series. This is our summer series, which means some of you are looking at your Bible going, how is this the end? And we're only finishing chapter 12 here. We're going to get back into it next summer. It's our summer series. Uh, But I told you that Luke wrote the book of Acts in sections. There's six sections, and the point of the book of, uh, of Acts is to show us that God has a mission, and he wants to use us in it, but God has a mission, and this is the end of the third section when it says that the word increased and multiplied. Can I just recap before you as, as Daryl comes and we get ready to, to pray and close this morning? It doesn't matter if it's persecution or difficulty. It doesn't matter what's going on. The church needs to be a people of, of prayer, stretching our faith. Believing that God can do things that make no sense. How is God going to get Peter out of that jail? There's no way. It can't happen. And he shows up going, let me in. What are we praying for that it seems so impossible? God, that you would save the people of Southwest Little Rock. That you would make such an impact on addiction in Southwest Little Rock. God, that you would bring a change of the people all around here that crime rates go down. That kids are getting better education. That racism is over. What are we praying for? Do we believe God is a God that can do anything? Do we believe it? Are we praying like we believe it? Are we praying that faith? No matter what you're facing, no matter what is holding you bound this morning, no matter what prison your life may be stuck in and it seems no way, there can still be peace, my friends. There can be peace when we trust that God has got us and he's got a plan for our lives. He wants to give us freedom, but he doesn't want us to be a puppet. He wants us to make a choice today. Many of you have to make choices. You're going to go back to your lives and back to the brokenness and back to the questions and back to the difficulty and back to the addictions and back to the struggles and temptations. And it's like you're standing on the street and you got to make a decision. Lord, where am I going to go? going back to who I was or am I going back to who you want me to be? Help me to choose your way. Give me freedom 
so that I might serve you. And help me to do it not alone, but with a group of people in the community. That's what the church is. And I believe we will change the world when we finally get that and we begin to live life together on mission together. This is God's mission. It's not ours, it's his. And nothing and no one can stand against it, right? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Father God, thank you for your goodness this morning. Thank you for the privilege to be with this family of believers. God, may we truly sense a need for prayer in our, in our small groups, in our families, in our church. Because God, we have no power. We can't do anything. Peter is an amazing person as he was. He didn't even know to get up off the ground. He didn't know to put his shoes on or his coat on. He didn't know step by step what to do. And yet, Lord, in your grace and your goodness, you just said, I'll, I'll show you the next best thing. God, would you, would you help us to be a praying people to trust that if anything's going to be done in southwest Little Rock, in this city, in this state, in this world, it's going to be because you did it. And by your grace, you allowed us to be a part of it. So Lord, we need to be, we need to be a, a praying people. God, even now as we sing, I pray that we are seeking you, Lord, in our hearts. We're not just singing words on a, on a screen. We're not just believing platitudes of a preacher. But, God, that we are speaking out of a place of real faith and real hope and real life and real change. God, you and you alone are the only one worthy of worship. So as we seek you this morning, as we love you and we we lift you up this morning. Would you draw people to yourself? And would you give us the privilege to do life with them and be a blessing to them for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name.